In this episode of Two Teachers Talk Business, we sat down with digital marketing entrepreneur Peter Watson. During the episode, we discussed the importance of failure, what it's really like being an entrepreneur, and current trends in digital marketing. We really hope you enjoy the episode. So, Peter, um, tell us a bit about who you are and uh, what you do. So it's uh, it's been quite a wild ride, to be honest with you guys. I mean, I started out in business when I was about 16. Um, my dad started a business. It didn't go particularly well. And I was kind of the uh, the young kid on his shoulders trying to help him navigate that landscape. Um, launched a online car audio company selling car parts, which still goes today, and got a lot of the traffic for YouTube. And then all I've ever done really is invest and invest and invest and invest. You know, every single pound I ever made in business, I put into the next business and maybe made two pounds and maybe made five pounds and maybe made 10 pounds. And it's been a, you know, a compound growth career to where I am now at 27. Um, we now run uh, six or seven businesses right across from, you know, the marketing agency, which is Distract, through to, you know, online mortgages, conveyancing, online pharmacy, uh, corporate law, recruitment, and a few e-commerce brands as well. So, you know, our, our aim and ambition is to, to be a group of companies um, that is ambitious where it goes uh, and never to try and reinvent the wheel, which I'll touch on later. But I, I really believe that there are some, there's so many young tech entrepreneurs who are trying to create something new. And I think actually as young entrepreneurs, we should be looking at markets that already exist and then innovate on top of them. So yeah, I'm just a, I'm just a entrepreneur that gets excited a lot, talks too quickly sometimes, and it's just trying to become the next, the next thing. So Great. Well, if you don't mind, Ron, I'm going to jump in here. Like you've just said that you, you obviously start with Distract and then you've, you've, you've grown into multiple businesses. Why not stick with the one? Why have you gone for, why have you widened your scope, I suppose? So, you know, I've always, I've always been, you know, um, chaser of shiny objects. Um, I rarely sit still. Uh, my business partner, Brad McKenney, is a operational genius you know you had me and him sat next to each other now he a wouldn't talk through the whole podcast um and b would be nudging me if i spoke about irrelevant things or kicking me under the table if i said something something wrong so we're the opposite people um and i met him at university i I made a made a couple of quid then went to university uh did marketing at university and then set up three or four businesses at university you know some of them were a disaster some worked pretty well and then uh, distract was the marketing agency i set up in second year which did which did pretty well my, my core belief is this, right? My core belief is this, is that many of us will try and build a business. We'll try and sell it for 10 million quid and then maybe do a bit of investment and live in Barbados. I actually believe that's a terrible way of looking at business. Uh, I believe that you should be chasing a cash flow empire. So what I mean by that is, is this. It's relatively easy, not easy, but it's relatively straightforward for an entrepreneur to create a 300,000 pound profitable business. And they make 300 grand a year. It's pretty straightforward. It's not, not too difficult to do that. So if you have 10 of those, you now make 3 million quid a year profit, right? And, and I believe um, to my soul that it's easier to create 10, 300,000 pound businesses making you 3 million quid a year profit than to create one business that you can sell for 15 million quid. I just truly believe that. Um, and also that from a business perspective is much, much easier for me to do for numerous different reasons. First and foremost, the hardest thing and most expensive thing for most businesses is marketing. So I own a marketing agency, which is pretty well, works with brands all across the UK. And therefore I get marketing expertise for free. You know, I can create a brand tomorrow. I can build a website next week and I can launch the marketing campaign a month later for free. Whereas it probably costs you guys 15 grand, 20 grand to pay me to do that. So I've got this instant resource of being able to create brands and fund brands pretty much at the drop of a hat. It's so it's so funny that I can do them so quickly that literally two weeks ago, um, I launched a car mats business called getcarmats.co.uk, and uh, I literally can, you know, I went to I went to the web team, I went to the branding team, can you make me a logo? I went to the web team, can you build me a website? I went to the marketing team, and said, can you sell me some car mats? And within like a month, I'm selling car mats online. Uh, so I really believe that you know, um, you know, if you read the statistics, it's something like four out of five businesses fail. So my analogy and answer to that terrible statistic is we'll make five businesses then. Uh, and that's all I've ever done my whole career is just being very, very ruthless. You know, I cut things when they, when they don't work very quickly, but I never, ever, ever, ever um, get upset or trodden down if they don't work. Uh, and that's if anyone said, what's my 
secret to success. It's just be absolutely relentless. Love that. I, I really, well, that's a, a superb answer, to be honest, because you've just hit the nail on the head. Every, every business is essentially built around marketing. I, I believe in marketing so much, and that's why we're so excited to get you on, to be honest. So we wanted an expert who really lives and breathes marketing every day. And I think your answer couldn't have been better in the fact that you didn't just build a marketing business and leave it there. Marketing basically is the heartbeat of every business you you own. So that initial company has helped you now. Well, you can essentially start a business in any market. Yeah, yeah that, that's exactly it, right? So um, let's look at my, my online mortgage company. It's called Rippled, rippled.co.uk. Uh, free online mortgages so anyone can get a mortgage right now for free from that business uh, where normally you pay a broker 300 quid or whatever it's completely free and um you know i went to my, my good mate adam horton who owns horton estate agents got about 15 branches across the uk known the kids since i was 16 and 17 you know when you're young in business you, you you match up with other people that are young in business he's from leicester i was from cambridge so we, we, we weren't even remotely connected we just found each other on the internet and he said to me pete i'm starting a, a mortgage company have you got any advice I said, yeah, uh, let me invest. Um, and we built the brand, built the website, built all the automation. So you can literally get a mortgage quote online instantaneously. Um, and yeah, we launched the mortgage company about six months later. We only, we only had the conversation in March 2020. We launched it November 2020. Uh, didn't even meet, you know, like all on, all on Zoom. Um, and that business is flying. You know, we've got, it's, it's, it's killing it. So, I, you know, I really believe that you can plug, you're absolutely spot on there, mate. You can plug marketing into any business. And the great thing that marketing agencies do, and it's really, no one really understands it, is that we have about 50, 60 clients here at the agency. And, you know, no business is the same, right? We've got law firms, accountancy firms, um, Hoover brands, you know, um, sweet brands. Yeah, you know, I go on all day. They're all different, which you know, as an agency, it's the guy's job in the team to understand the complexities of every single industry and be able to learn fast at it. Uh, and also you learn huge things from, let's say, marketing a Hoover brand versus marketing the largest charity in the UK. You know, this, this is how we work. And when, so when I walk up to your desk and I say, hi, Steph, hi, Hannah, hi, Tom, um, can you market a mortgage company? It's no different. And I haven't seen any other agency in the UK do this. They probably are doing it. I just... It's now our form, foremost strategy. You know, we've literally created five brands in 2020. It's what we're doing uh, actively. And um, yeah, I mean, the pandemic as such, um, it accelerated the growth of the agency because everyone needed online services. It obviously created a lot of free cash, a lot of free money floating about from business back loans and T-bills loans and stuff. Um, and we had already prepared really well as a business because I was um, convinced uh, a... a, a um, economic crash was going to happen because they roughly happen every 10 years. Uh, the last one was 2008, 2009. It's, you could, you could, at 2020, you know, you're pushing your luck now really from an economic crash. It should be around then. So we built up good cash reserves anyway, just in case that had came. So when you added good cash reserves, uh, free money from the government to keep everyone alive uh, and, you know, you're locked in a house for a year, you know, you're asking me to create businesses. You know, you're, you're literally asking me at that point to create businesses. So it's been a, it's been a wild ride, um, but yes, I love it. I literally love it. But I think the point is it's not luck. None of what you've just been saying there is you, you, you were prepared for something to happen, i.e. an economic crash. You weren't prepared for COVID. You didn't know, but the, the two come hand in hand, don't they? You've, you've pre-planned and you create your own luck, don't you? So the timing is right, but you kind of planned for that timing to happen and then you were ready to take advantage let's say so where where do you plan on stopping you've got you've got these six businesses have you got any have you got a 10-year plan to yeah i mean i don't really, really do the whole 10-year plan thing i mean each business we own has its own managing director so it's brilliant for me because it means i don't have to look at that business day to day at all um my 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 front and center role every single day is distract i'm still the managing director for distract i still have to flog marketing services and run that team um, Brad, my business partner, who's my business partner on all my projects, you know, we, we, you know, when we invest, you know, they always speak to me about it because I'm the guy that talks a lot, but I'm always like, by the way, guys, Brad's on this deal as well. Don't worry about the equity. It's coming out of my pot. That's fine. Um, because as a duo, we work so, so well. And, and I always have, I've always said that when I first started in business, I really believed that you should own everything yourself and have that hundred percent. I completely disagree with myself when I said those things. Now it's very, very important for you to find a business partner that, that complements you and, and, and has all the opposite skill sets as you, because 
that's how you drive through and things get really hard. And, and it's always good to have that counteractive opinion uh, that someone's not going to just agree with you all the time. So me and Brad are a, a great partnership. So you know, my, my plan, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, is to actually retire from full-time work uh, by 35. So I've got eight years left. And, but I won't quit, right? I'm still going to be doing investment and wander around, but I won't be nine to five every single day in the office. I'll be more like a visionary in terms of investing and stuff. That's the plan. And do I think it'll, ha it'll happen? Yeah, I can't see it why it won't happen uh, unless something dramatic changes. Um, but yeah, my, my plan is just to keep on finding great businesses, keep on putting great managing directors in them, keep on funding them and, and, and keep on bringing the marketing expertise to them. You know, like yesterday, um, I was speaking to a will writing company about investing in their business at 40% because I know that I own a mortgage company and I own a conveyancing company. Uh, so wills is like, a, it's, an, it's an obvious next step. They all, they, they all refer each other. You know, I've always, uh, six months ago, I was looking at investing in a state agency practice because, you know, a state agent gives the lead to the mortgage broker, the mortgage broker then gives the lead to the conveyancer. You see the picture. So I'm, I'm just constantly looking at these opportunities all the time. Um, and there is no sector that is out of reach um, because if I can find the managing director who's got five, 10 years experience, he knows that industry. He knows how to operate. I don't need to know it. Like, you know, I, I put um, Tom, our MD of Fletcher Longstaff into a, a meeting this morning and I literally wrote an email I'll leave you to talk it out because I haven't got a clue. I haven't got a clue. Don't need to know. I think there's an opportunity here, lads. Have a chat. See if it's, see if it's mutually beneficial. If it's not, Pete was wrong, but it might be. Um, and that's, you know, I think that's probably one of the, the most things I've realized is that I know my skill set. My skill set is I'm a great, I'm a great, I'm a great um, communicator. I'm really good at building relationships. Um, I'm good at selling. Um, the doing, I ain't that great at, you know, I ain't that great at the doing, um, but that's fine because I've got people like Brad and other people around me to, to do that. And, and every single business, and I really mean this, every single business needs what's called a key person of influence. It's that person that can be shoved on screen, shoved on camera, shoved at the conference, uh, who, who draws people into your business. And that's what I do. Um, you know, I'm the show pony that gets you know, shoved around the UK and does things like this. But as long as there's people behind me that can do the fulfillment, who can do the day-to-day, then everything's good. And uh, the problem is if you're the show pony with no actual circus, then, then you struggle. But you're quite happy to accept that everybody else has got those skill sets. You know, you, you've not got that ego where, you know, because some people think that's where they struggle. They have too, they want too much control. And what you're saying there is you're more than willing to let people who know what they're doing, who are the specialists, the experts, do that. And you be the show pony, as you call it. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, we've, as you develop and go through business, you uh, you start realizing what you're good and what you're bad at. And I think, you know, I, I always say this to Brad to the point where he sometimes says to me, not everything's about ego. I think 90% of being a business owner is checking your ego. You know, like, why are you making this decision? Um, why are you investing in this? Why do you want that press release to go out? Like, you know, I guess it's off the record to a certain degree. Back end of last year, we moved 20% of all our cash, which wasn't a small amount, into Bitcoin. I, I just thought it was a, a good move, which it has been a good move as of now. But I thought it was a good move because I, I, see, I saw the way the Federal Reserve was printing money. I saw this free handouts by the government with business bounce back loans. I just thought it's not, it's not good to have cash right now. So we moved 20% of our cash across. And then I said to the PR team in, I think it was like two weeks ago, I said, boys, can you write me a press release saying that the featured group, which is our group, has moved 20% of all company cash into Bitcoin as a hedge against the economy. And they were like, that's an amazing story. That's really cool. It's going to show you innovative, forward thinking, la, la, la. And Brad said to me, why? Who are you trying to impress? Right? And I was like, yeah, ego check. No point. Don't put it out. Yeah. And I think, you know, you've got to understand sometimes. You've got to go through the process, right? You've got to go through the process. Um but yeah, I think the, the biggest um, disadvantage people have is ego. And if you can check your ego every now and again, you'll, you'll do much better. And that's what, and I have to do it quite a lot, to be honest, because I am this rah-rah man that runs around and hypes around a lot. I do have a, uh, I'm, I am overly confident. So I've just got to check my ego more than the average person. Um, otherwise you'll end up doing something stupid. So you, you, you clearly come across as being very self-aware on your own strengths now at, at such a, a relatively, well, a very young age, isn't it, still? Um, what I'm intrigued to know, like, when did you get to this point? So, like, what were you like at college, university? Like, how did you get from that, like, starting point to where you are now, being so self-aware and, and confident? I love this question because I get asked it all the time because when I was uh, at school, I was insecure, quiet, 
wasn't in the cool group, was in like the middle group, you know, I could like chill with the cool kids, chill with the like, well, I guess it's the non-cool, I don't know how you'd call it, the non-cool kids, right, I could chill with all groups, like I just I was, I was just like in the middle, um, couldn't speak on a stage, no way, could never do this, not in a million years, um, kind of rolled through school, um, went to work at Halfords, um, got a bit of conference there, then I worked like two years trying to get my first car. Now, you've got to understand, like when I say I'm from Cambridge, I'm not from Cambridge, right? I'm from a place called Royston. It's not exactly the most glamorous place in the world. My dad would say I'm from Cambridge, but I'm not. I'm from Royston. Yeah. And um, all of my mates at school, they weren't from rich families, but they were from well-off families. And my mom died when I was seven. So it, my dad's solo you know, parented his whole life. Like he's never remarried. He's never done it. Solo parenting me and my brother all, his whole life. So when it came to me being 18 and you know, passing my driving test, you know, he's like, Pete, you want a car, mate? You're going to have to go absolutely go and graph for it, right? So I'm starting companies, I'm working at Alfred and trying to graph this for this uh, this car. All my mates are getting cars bought for them. So they're all getting like five grand cars, six grand cars. In, in fact, one kid got two cars because his first one he bought it and it turned out it was category D. So his mom bought him the same car just because he needed a car, right? So I had all this around. So I was really driven to go and get this car so I could be on, so I could be on a level playing field. And they were getting five, six grand cars. I was getting like two grand car after working two years for it. Do you know what I mean? Like I was hustling. Yeah. Anyway, I remember one day to kind of bring us back to the question. I remember one day I, I went to the cinema, I came back and I parked my car outside the front of my house, my dad's house. And uh, someone had crashed into the side of it and left me like a little note. They're like, sorry, mate. Like, you know, someone's crashed. I've crashed into your car. Like, give me a call. I'll sort it out. So I called the number and it was a fake number. Like they just left me a dodgy note, right? Uh, and the whole of the car was just smashed up. Um, and obviously I was like gutted. I was crying. I worked two years for this bloody car. Uh, and it was, it was absolutely bad at this point. And I, at, at that night, I'm going to say I was eight, I'm going to say I was 18, 19. Let's say 19. I was doing my teeth in the mirror, like just brushing my teeth. And at that point, um, I decided, just decided that I was no longer going to care about people's opinions, that I was no longer going to be this insecure kid, that I was no longer going to be doing what everyone thought I should do. I'm just going to go crack on with myself. And um, pretty much six months later, I'd sacked off my whole friendship group and gone just because I didn't like where they were going. And the next day after doing that teeth brute, that toothbrush scenario, uh, I just went and started a new company um, called ADSA. It was a bag of but I started in the first company and I've never, and I've never looked back. And, um, that was a defining moment in my whole life. Um, and my dad just moved house recently, like a year ago, two years ago, and before he, he left, I said, can you take a picture of that mirror for me? Cause it is such a defining, like genuinely defining point. Like, I can remember brushing my teeth and looking at myself in the mirror. So, yeah, so I, I think that there's you know, big scenarios, big life events always make you the person you are. Um, and, um, you know, it, it just, it just hit me right in the gut and I just thought, you know, like I'm going to go and do my thing. Um, and yeah, I, I've, ne I've never been so confident um, because it's a crazy world, right? When you remove any sense of care about judgment, you know, when you remove any sense of uh, what, if I do this, what do people think of me? When you remove that, you are the most powerful person in the world. When yeah. you really look at yourself and go, do you know what? I don't care what John, Joe, Steph, Jack think of me anymore. I'm going to go and be the person I want to be. I'm going to start four businesses, tell the world. And if they all fail, I don't really care. Um, when you have that level of, you know, focus on your own, on yourself, you can do anything. Yeah. What, what would you tell a student then? So you, you luckily came across that, like in, in front of the mirror, brushing your teeth. There's probably a student sat there now thinking, I do care about what people think. Like, I can't do that. Look, I, I can't mean, start a business, etc. What, do you, have you got any advice that could potentially like help them? think about it or change i think all these things take time right there's no way that you could i mean look everyone's got their own time zone everyone's got their own timeline. you know um first of all foremost is believe in the process right i'm a big fan of compound uh, in everything in life compound investment compound good decisions compound work ethic you know just compound it always stacks up if you do enough of the right things you'll you'll be the right person if you do enough of the right time investments you'll become the right person if you do enough of the right financial investments you'll be financially wealthy like these are all just these are proven track records um so you know like I'm a, I'm a big believer in that so as long as you make the right decisions you'll be fine so just put the put the effort in and time will be on your side but regarding making a big decision the, the question i have is this is who right now in your life are you most scared of not 
achieving in front of, I guess is the right word to use. So is it your, I don't know, is it your dad, is it your grandma, is it your boyfriend, girlfriend, is it your teacher? I don't know. And then the first thing I would do is ask them straight up. And if I did this, what would happen? Or if I did this, and you'll find it very quickly that they actually don't really care too much. Like they'll find it pretty quickly that everyone is actually really focused on their own thing. They actually don't care too much if you try something and fail, first and foremost. Second of all, understand that why does it matter? Like a lot of the biggest and most complex life decisions can be summarized with a really simple answer. So like, okay, I'm going to go, I want to, I want to be a singer, right? I want to be a singer. I'm, uh, there's a school bloody like sing along thing happening. And I'm scared to enter, right? What's the worst thing that happens? The worst thing that happens is actually what happened to me when I went on stage in a year 11 and played guitar. And I just, and at lunchtime, <laughs> everyone laughed at me and everyone was saying, oh, Pete really messed up that guitar solo, didn't he? Yeah. I did. I really messed it up. Do you know what? I'm 27. It's 10 years later, maybe give or take a little bit. I can't even like, who cares? No. Many of the things you're concerned and worried about really don't matter over time. So just do what you want to do right now. And if it's the right thing, not the wrong thing, you know, if it's the right thing and you've done right, the right thing, it won't matter. I think, um, I think what you've got to do though, is you have got to fail. You have got to mess up that guitar solo to realize that it doesn't even matter. Like at the time in that moment, you probably feel a bit of an idiot. You, yeah. you, you, but actually, in a month's time, you'll not even realise, or oh, if you do, so what? And, and I think the more you fail, the less you, you, the less you care about failing. And I yeah, I mean, you're spot on. I mean, I honestly could start a company tomorrow, fail. It wouldn't even register. So, you know, I, I've done like 10 years now of business to a, to a degree, give or take a, a little bit. And when you first start out, your emotions are like this, right? They're up and down. Oh my God, I'm going to be a millionaire. Oh my God, I'm going to go broke. Da, 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 da. And, and what I've actually figured out is that as you progress through the highs and the lows and the highs and the lows and the highs and the lows in business, and I assume it's the same in life, but in business, is the highs and lows get less volatile, right? The, um, the, 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 if I won a huge account, right, I'd be up here normally, right? But now I've been doing it for 10 years, you know, it's pretty flat. I'm like, oh, cool, big account. It's the same for the negatives, you know, as you start going, oh, no, this client's left. Or, oh, no, I've messed up a guitar solo. You know, now it's like, oh, I messed up a guitar solo. Yeah. Like, it, yeah. It, it's really interesting, your tolerance to both upside and downside as it develops over time. And that could just be because I've crammed in so much life experience in such a young age because I've done business. And I guess if you asked your 72-year-old granddad the same question, he would say the same thing. Yeah, Pete, if I tripped over now, I wouldn't really mind too much. Or yes, Pete, you know, if I uh, missed a football goal right now, it wouldn't really matter because he's had the time preference to weigh out those massive swings in mood. I don't know. But that's all I've figured out in businesses that I really don't care about the ups or the downs anymore. I'm pretty much straight lined. Um, it's kind of sad in a way because I do miss the highs of winning a contract and being really excited by it. But it's quite nice you don't cry every night when something goes, doesn't go your way. Yeah. It's, 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 you've touched on a few very good points. And I've, I, I think it's the important part about, for me, it's that thing about failing and then not letting it ruin your day, your week, or even your year. And I think that happens all too much. I think the, from a teacher's point of view, I, I see that people aren't allowed to fail. And I hate that. I think we should be um, encouraged to go out there, not go out there and fail, but go out there and try. And if you fail, it really doesn't matter. Because you're just, just trying do to get something. to do it. Yeah. Go out and do something rather than talk about doing something. Do it because you're not scared to fail. I think that's the the problem is, Drew. The problem is 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 that because the generation that's coming to school now, uh, unfortunately, I I feel sorry for them. For, for numerous different reasons. Uh, first and foremost, my generation was in between the internet and the old world. So, so it was like, you know, you, you, you weren't completely engrossed by like the internet. We had like MSN or wherever it was. Like we had like, you know, Bebo and stuff. Like we weren't yeah. fully in the internet era. And thankfully we weren't fully in the traditional era. So we kind of had the best of both worlds. The, 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 the group that's at school now is so exposed for critique and criticism from every single angle. It's yeah. very, very hard for you to go a day if you tried something new and not be critiqued. Yeah. yeah. You know, let, let's say you want to like, I want to be a YouTuber and you create a YouTube channel and it didn't go particularly well for whatever reason, you're going to get critiqued about it. I sit here, I've got a YouTube channel. Some of my, some of my videos get 12 views. I couldn't give a flying. Like, I literally don't yeah. care. I've had the criti criticism. For me, I'm like, you think that's bad? I mean, I can show you some stories, yeah. you know, like, so it doesn't bother me. Whereas 
I think this generation now is so open to criticism because they're on so many platforms, they're constantly in communication. You know, you can't, if I had a bad day at school, I could get home and I was away from it. Nowadays, you have a bad day at school and that person can keep annoying you through every single platform you've got, right? So yeah. I do feel sorry for that, for the generation that is, but that's why it's even more important right now, more important than ever before that you really focus on yourself and try and remove that, that, that level of, of um, openness to critique. And really understand and have that toothbrush moment of just, I don't care anymore. Because if you can get that done at a young age now, you will fly. You will yeah. fly. Like, think about how powerful you could be if you were 16 and you had that moment right now of, I'm going to do what I want. I don't care if I fail. I will let the world laugh at me. Imagine where you're going to be at 42. Yeah. Magical. Amazing. I know. It's, it's, just, it's just hearing it sometimes, isn't it? And I think... I think I just want to touch on something you said there about because we were pretty similar. We grew up with uh, sort of in between the the internet and no internet at all. We were talking about dial up earlier when we were setting this up. We're like, wow. Um, anyway, by the by, how how does your um, company integrate the traditional marketing with digital now? Because that's important for students to hear. Like, traditional still alive, isn't it? It's just in it's integrating it so how do you do that yeah so if we went back kind of four years ago five years ago um we very much were focused on a channel marketing approach so that's very much like i'm going to run a facebook ad campaign i'm going to run a cinema ad campaign like you're very much with channel focused the last kind of couple of years it's, it's completely gone to this new holistic marketing approach you know like you can't run a campaign anymore that that it isn't you know multiple different channels all all tracked together um, all part of one bigger picture. So you've seen agencies go from single channel, you know, Facebook ad specialist agencies, now to, to kind of 360 agencies that focus on all aspects. So we as an agency only really focus on digital. However, if a client does need something else to incorporate into that campaign, we can do some traditional sense or we have you know, other brands, other companies you work with that do those, those angles. Um, but normally what happens is we get brought in on digital, internal marketing will then pull in someone else for you know, their um traditional maybe they're like out of home or cinema and then they kind of dj up as the as the client they kind of dj up the whole thing together but yeah multi-channel marketing is definitely the answer now um you know a really good example is is tiktok advertising we've been a tiktok partner now for about a year um really really early, early in their advertising platform program and uh you know you run a tiktok ad right now the, the chances are you're not going to get much return on investment from a if you're running an e-commerce store so what you would do is you would you would tag up the interaction and then you would get the sale through Facebook, Instagram, Google. Um, but you wouldn't have got the initial awareness and touch point from TikTok, right? You have to make sure you bring it all together. And I think that's what many people forget when they come to marketing is they think, oh, I can run a Facebook ad campaign. Yeah, you can. But if you want to be a success and return investment positive and et cetera, then you need to be doing kind of four or five channels together and holding it all together as, as, as one. Well, and I think that's something that a lot of, a lot of our followers always get confused up traditional digital. Even someone we've, we've put a lot, we've, we're going to ask you a few questions from us followers later on. Um, but one of the things that somebody asked was, is everything digital now? But we're going to come on to that later. I'm going to come on to a question that I want to ask you because marketing is so important and it's such a popular career path. So a lot of a lot of our students and a lot of the nation's business study students want to go and do marketing. They want to either do an apprenticeship in it, they want to go to uni, but in some way, shape, or form, they want to be involved in marketing. What I want to ask you is, what does working in marketing actually look like right now? Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a crazy world, right? So right now, marketing is you've had coronavirus has come along. It's wiped out all traditional in a sense because there's no footfall in cinemas, there's no footfall on the on roads, you know, you've wiped out everything. So you've had you no know, events, which has been always been a, a naturally a huge spend for a lot of clients. So you've had all of that traditional money investment thrown into a pot. And that pot has been then gone, we need to do something with this money because our budgets are, are yearly and we need to make sure that make up that lost revenue. So 90% of brands have then thrown that to digital. Um, so you've then had a massive, massive onpouring of digital spend. And the way most of these channels work is they work on an auction-based approach, i.e. the more people that are spending money there, the price of the click, the price of the impression, et cetera, increases. So when you're putting more money into an advertising channel, the price of that increases. So it's been more competitive than ever before in the online landscape, um, which has meant that as an agency and as marketeers, we've had to 
you know, be more risky, um, take more um, new innovative approaches, try new platforms like TikTok or Snapchat, uh, and really kind of uh, try and figure out ways around the around the landscape. Because you know, when everyone's focusing on the internet, it's great for attention. Of course, it is. But it also means that every single marketeer and their dog is there. Um, so how do you do something to, to kind of stand out from the crowd? And that's where the creative teams really have to pull through with new ideas. And the ads teams have to look at new platforms. And then you've got the analytical team, right, who are then looking at like Google Analytics and interfaces and going, OK, right, that channel looks like it's bringing no money in. But actually, it's the second touch point for all the money. You know, so it, you know, it's about weighing up those analytical decisions as well as just the creative ones. But it's been hard. The, the, probably the biggest challenge has been that most of the teams are working from home. Um, and, you know, I, I, I really believe that in marketing, you have to be in the same room um, because, you know, you've got someone throwing an idea around, someone looking at something else, creative meetings in, in, in boardrooms. And th those are the things that really, really uh, allow you to drive forward. And, you know, unfortunately, even in today's world with all the different platforms like Slack and Microsoft Teams, et cetera, things still do get misinterpreted, right? And, um, and I think it's really important. And then second of all, you know, marketing and especially our team is a very young team, very, very young team. I'd say average age, 26, 25, maybe, um, you know, you, you're, you're working with, with people who they're not at risk per se as the, of the virus, they're more at risk from mental health. And, you know, you lock in people at our age into normally like house shares or flats, maybe in their garden, and you're opening yourself up to a whole mental health crisis. So I've said to the team, look, you know, the office is open if you want to come in social distance like crazy uh, and i'm not asking the reason why you can come in for whatever reason i don't care why it is so we've had a few people come in um don't know why just if you want to come in you can come in and a lot of people have come in and said it's so much better in here you know um just because you're locked in a room for a year and a half or whatever it's been uh, it's not a nice place to be so yeah so it's um yeah so that's kind of what it's been like in marketing at the moment it's been very difficult very challenging but it's been amazing to see some of the results great Brilliant. Yeah, and, and, and I think that's it. I think what you've touched on there, you've been a very responsible employer and noticing that people's mental health really has been impacted. And I think when this first happened, everyone was like, fantastic, I can work from home. I can I can get my life back. I can start running if I want to. And, and I haven't got the traveling, but all of a sudden that honeymoon period ended. And it's like, May I, first, first two months, I was saying to everyone, we've, we've got a big office. Our office is yeah. big, it's two floors, it's, it's, it's big. We, just took, we, only, we only got it like a year and a half ago. We chucked a lot of cash into it. It's a really nice office. Sitting there thinking, have we done this at the wrong time? Like, you know, um, we don't need an office anymore. I'm two months into it. We don't need an office anymore. Well, you know, that two months turns to three, four, five, six. I'm shaking in, this, in the bloody house. Like, I'm going crazy. I can't stand it. So I was like to, my, I was like to Brad, I was like, mate, you know, I'm getting that key and I'm going to the office. I, I need the walk there for a start yeah. and I need to get out because the problem was I was not switching off. You know, I was getting up at let's, I don't know, let's say half seven, starting at like half eight, you know, and you'd finish at like eight and you, you wouldn't have the break. You wouldn't have the, you wouldn't have the, the outside or the exercise. And it, it was, it was killing me, to be honest. It was completely killing me. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I was in some sort of like crisis, but my productivity was on the absolute floor. Um, so I, I made the decision that it was best for the business for me to come in at least and then naturally I opened it to everyone and said, look, if you guys are feeling the same way I was, you need to get yourself in here because, it, you know, when people start feeling sluggish, feeling slow, you don't know how far away you are from some sort of like crisis in itself. So um, I was just like, you know, if you start feeling a little bit shitty, you get, you get yourself in here. Bro. No, no, no. Just, no, 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 just having that option. Yeah. Um, sorry, Alex. Just no, having no, that option might, um, might help people out. Just knowing if they don't feel great, they can go in. So I think it's just it's just having that option, isn't it? Um, I I want to speak to you a little bit about innovation. So you said you've had to innovate. What sort of platforms have you got your eye on at the minute? So is there up and coming? So like I've heard a bit about this clubhouse thing. Um, is there anything that you're looking at new, or is it just TikTok, Snapchat? Yeah. So so clubhouse has been obviously the the the, the most major um, kind of growing platform recently. I mean. You know, they, they actually come out the other day and said that they will not put any advertising or adverts on the platform, um, which is interesting. Um, you know, things can change, you know, when people start waving billions of pounds in front of their face or if they get bought out by Facebook or whatever. Um, I think it's interesting. I, I'm not blown away by it. Um, so it's all right. I think it's one of those platforms that it's it's fun when you get an invite because you're like, oh my God, I've got an invite. And then you, you use it for like four days and you actually realize that it's basically just a podcast you have to listen to live. So... Yeah. Uh, it kind of, uh, in my opinion, eradicates that 
I mean, I'd read a report that basically said if all the people that had these clubhouse rooms just made podcasts, their you know, audience size would be 10 times what it is. So I don't know. So that, I mean, clubhouse is interesting. It's good to keep an eye on. Nice if you've got an invite, et cetera. You know, TikTok, we go back to the beginning of lockdown. TikTok had just really kind of started, started booming. I remember it was like March time. And I went viral on TikTok probably about May. Um, got like 2 million views in I don't know, about a month. I, I started a cooking a cooking TikTok account just for banter. I wanted to prove to everyone in the office I still had it. Um, so, um, so yeah, I got two million two million views making Yorkshire puddings and roasts and stuff. So it's kind of funny. Um, so yeah, that, that kind of popped off over over lockdown. Um, I think I don't know about you guys, but my attention on that platform slowed um, just a little bit. People yeah. in the office and the agency are saying the same, but not using it as much as they were. I think it was a nice little thing to be there. Um, and their ad, their ad product is really, really infant. You know, uh, Facebook's got an amazing ad, ad product. Google, amazing ad product. Uh, TikTok is very, very new. Um, you can't do huge amounts of things. You've got to really be a partner to be able to get the full access like we've got. Um, and that even now, like, I can't get adverts through for alcohol brands. I can't get adverts through for gambling brands. I can't get adverts through for CBD brands, which are like the big spenders at the moment in space. So, um yeah, it's all a bit of a challenge, but yeah, TikTok is obviously the one to keep an eye on. Just as um, as we've seen over the last decade, what happens is the young demographic come to a platform. So if you look at Facebook all those years ago, university and college kids got, got onto the platform, then their parents and then their grandparents. That's what happens. Platforms age up. And as they age up, they get less cool. So now if you went and speak to a 15-year-old about Facebook, they'd say that's where the old people hang out because people's grandparents run it now. So the same thing will happen with TikTok. It, you know, it was young kids, then it was people my age, and then it'll be my dad probably eventually, then it'll be my grandparents. You know, that's what will happen. So it's um, so it's, it's always keep an eye on it, always keep an eye on these new platforms as they age up. But um, I see that, I think it's Michael Birch, who used to own um, Bebo, has just bought it back. So I don't know if you know much about Bebo, but I think he sold it for about, I think it was 900 million, bought it back for a million, sold it again for 10 million, and then bought it back again. Um, and he's and he's creating a new a new Bebo social platform, which he reckons will be out by the end of this year. So it could flop. He actually says I'm it will most likely flop. Um, but you know, um, there's lots of people trying things because you know we've we've been locked in a room for it for a year. So you'll see lots of innovations come out of the woodwork as you would if you locked anyone in a room for a year. Okay. So I think TikTok something we've just started in Drum. We've just tried doing yeah. TikTok for business studies because we don't really see there's anyone there. And we feel like our actual audience, a lot of students, that's where they are at the minute. That's where the attention is. So we're trying to do like explainer videos in 60 seconds, but it's so difficult. But, do collabs, do collabs. So like, right. for example, you know, maybe and I throw me one to do and then throw it to someone who does something else and then throw it to someone else and then become like a curator. So I was speaking to River Island because we, 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 we pitched River Island the day and I was basically saying to him, rather than just having people walk on the catwalk with clothes on, become the created the curated content for the fashion and young demographic industry. And people will follow you not just for the for the clothes, but they'll follow you for the lifestyle that you are showing. So your platform, you know, you, you're going to give business advice and tips. We'll get some people on there that have done like who are entrepreneurs or get people on there that are marketeers or people who are working banking or accountancy or whatever and become the curated content center. Plus what you'll get is you'll get people who listen to my stuff, go across and, and, and see what you're doing. So yeah, I'm a big fan of curated content and micro influencers. I think it just works really well. And I think it's well-placed for TikTok at the moment. Brilliant. We'll try that 100%. We, me and Drew, you can have that one in the house. Yeah. Like we, we've been doing TikTok at least a month. We've made like seven videos and we've still not gone viral and we are promised we'd go viral. Yeah. We? You've got, yeah. Oh, I think TikTok is a pure and simple, pure and simple post as much as you can, uh, like three times a day if possible, bang it out um because one of them will pop like it just yeah. naturally it will just happen like my yorkshire pudding video was the one that popped for me in my cooking channel got like eight hundred eight hundred fifty thousand views like it was mad um but yeah oh, everyone likes yorkshire puddings don't they they so. are mint they're mint yorkshire as well like i i always i always <laughs> bang out the sunday lunch and everyone's like your yorkshire's are mint pete i'm like i know i'm gonna i've gone famous as well on tiktok for it so <laughs> did they get a good get a good rise is that why, why, why hey, i've got the rise i've got the curvature it's beautiful <laughs> it's a beautiful yorkshire well, don't be surprised if two teachers uh, Yorkshire pudding at two teachers Yorkshire puddings uh, doesn't become a channel soon. <laughs> rival, rivals. Um, so, gonna move slightly away from marketing now, and just ask you just a bit about maybe who you are or your thought processes, or maybe a bit about your career and life. So, my first question on that in that part is 
Who is your favorite entrepreneur or business person and why? I don't know. I, I, it sounds quite bad, but um, I don't really... Um... I don't really analyze uh, entrepreneurs to a degree. I remember when I was, when I was kind of younger, I did it a lot. Like I would, I would watch a lot of Gary Vee's content. Um, yeah, I, I, but but um, now I don't. Uh, it's actually quite bizarre, actually, now you've asked me that question. it's quite. I should probably have someone that I look up to. <laughs> I like a lot of, there's a guy called Shamath, um, who's a, a guy from Sri Lanka, who's a, he's a billionaire. Um, and he's, he, he's really innovative, innovative in, in the way he thinks, very creative. I like what he's doing. I watch him though more for his insights rather than for him as a business person. Uh, it's very unrealistic that I'll get to where he is in his career. Um, you know, he's uh, worth about 10 billion or something and he's uh, he basically got Virgin Galactic on the stock market. So it's just like, that's not the route I'm going down. So I just like his, his thought process and the way he thinks. But yeah, I don't really have anyone that I kind of look up to per se. Um, I'm so set into what I want to do and what I want to achieve that it kind of doesn't really matter. Uh, like I know my plan. Um and people often say about mentors, you have a mentor, et cetera. I think me and Brad are in a really good position because we're such opposites that we kind of mentor each other. Um, you know, like he's really quiet. You know, he's really calculated. He's very organized. I'm the opposite of all those three things. So we kind of, you know, because we're so opposites, we kind of like channel each other down this, the right path. Um, so, yeah, so I don't really have anyone I look up to. I mean, I'm impressed by obviously some great entrepreneurs that have done amazing things, of course. You know, anyone who's come from zero with no help, and started with their first pound, you know, like, like what I've done, you know, anyone who, who does that and becomes something, then you know, you've got to have mad respect for them. But I wouldn't say there's someone I kind of look up to and I'm like, I admire that I follow every single day and watch their content. Um, because when I get back from home after work, you know, I'm on out and I watch like peep show, you know, like I'm not going to be on the bullshit. Like that's what I do. Um, I'm obsessed at the moment about economics and, and macroeconomics and, um, you know, cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin, and just because I believe that that is the new world we're living in. Um, and I'm watching a lot with um, people like Anthony Pomp um, Pompaleros, or what his name is, and people like that, just because of their insight. But I'm not saying that I'm looking up to them from business insight. It's more their view on, on econ economics and policy and stuff. Um, but yeah, if that answers your question. Yeah, it, yeah. it does. And to be honest with you, it's, it's just as good an answer as you're telling us you've got this um, person you look up to uh, the most in the world, because... You started this podcast off by saying you should focus on yourself and what you're about, your strengths, your weaknesses, getting a team around you. And, and I suppose if you if you just look up to that favorite entrepreneur, you could try and model yourself on them, and then you you're not who you, you there's no you lose your authenticity. And it's very clear, having done this podcast with you so far, you're a very authentic person. You are focused on what you were. You're quite self-aware, and you know your strengths. You, you're quite happy to build a team around you. And I think that, in a nutshell, ties hand in hand with not having a, a favourite entrepreneur. So, great. I, I, I do a lot of, like, self-realisation stuff all the time. And, like, for example, I'm wearing a black hoodie, black T-shirt, black trousers, black shoes, right? I wear black all day, every day. And uh, someone asked me once why I do it. And it's because I realised that at the start of every single day, I was spending 10 to 15 minutes deciding what T-shirts to wear. So I thought that's a terrible use of time. I did the calculations one day when I was in bed. It was like 15 minutes times by 365 a year. Yeah, it's mad. Uh, and I was like, if I just have the same wardrobe Monday to Friday, uh, then I literally know what I'm wearing every day. Therefore, it's one less decision. Uh, so I, I do stuff like that like all the time. It's kind of weird. But um, I, I really do look at every single decision I make from a business perspective, analyze it to a ridiculous level, make one decision and then ride it through for like a long time uh, and not think about it ever again. So, yeah, so I don't know. It's, it's interesting. I mean, entrepreneurship is a re really, really hard place. It's very, very hard to have someone to communicate with. Like, if I, let's say, for example, I'm playing Call of Duty with my mates. Like, they don't understand at all what I do anymore. Like, they haven't got a clue anymore. Like, it's got to the point where they'll be like, oh, how was your day? I was like, oh, yeah, I just bought a conveyancing business out of administration. And they're like, what? <laughs> like, you know, they just don't. And that's fine. And, and you know, I don't expect them to know. It's, it's quite nice, actually, because they don't understand. I can just, like, chill with them and just be, like, lads, basically. Um, but that's why it's really important, I think, to have someone like a business partner. Because, you know, when it's hit the fam, it, it does a lot. You know, I have, I have a, a, a saying in the office, which is, I go around and I'll be like, any problems? And if everyone says there's no problems, it means you wait. Two weeks, three weeks, there'll be an issue that smacks you right in the face. It happens every time that fail. Um, so when those when those things do happen and they smash you in the face, it's really good to have someone like a business partner to lean on, discuss with, have Nando's with and just chat about how we get around this because it's a very lonely place, if not.
it's a really, really lonely place. And it's really important um, that you have someone who understands it. Because if I didn't have that other person, you know, like Brad as a business partner, no one understands it. Your dad ain't going to get it. Your girlfriend ain't going to get it. No one's going to get it. It's impossible. Um, because, you know, you've been through so much as an entrepreneur. And that's the great thing that, that we have with our, um, as, as, as business partners is that we've been through the same stuff to a degree because we started our business together and every business that's followed, we've been together. So we all understand the same ways through different bits and bobs. So that's the one bit of advice I'd have to any entrepreneur is find someone that, that really complements your skills because it gets hard. It only gets harder as you get bigger and it's good to have someone to bounce off. Great. How, how do you, how do you deal with being an entrepreneur? Like if you're telling people what it's like, what would you, how would you explain being an entrepreneur? Someone said, um, I think it was Elon Musk in, in Clubhouse, actually. I think someone asked him and said, um, what's one piece of advice you'd have for, on, for an entrepreneur? And his answer was something like, paraphrased, if you have to ask for one piece of advice, you probably shouldn't be an entrepreneur. Which I thought, I, I kind of like that. I kind of I like that, that scenario because um, really speaking is when it really comes to it, nobody's helping you. Like when it really matters, like you, know, you can look around for people to, for advice and help and guide. No one's there. No, it is. It, it is the loneliest place possible, which is why I, I say time and time again, get yourself a business partner because yeah. it is, you know, when, I don't know, I mean, thankfully I've never been in this situation, but let's say, you, you know, you, you can't make payroll. Now what? Or let's say, for example, you know, you've had a big VAT bill that's on your desk and you can't pay it. Now what? Or let's say that someone's stolen 10 of your clients and you now have, now you're making, losing money. Now what? Or let's say that you've made an investment and it's just gone completely wrong. Now what? Like, who is supporting you? You are by yourself, son. So you better get used to it. And the most important thing is, is I would say that when you start in business, the first two years, your, your aim is to break even. You know, your aim is to, is to just about make your, make your rent payments, scrape the barrel. For the first year of distracts, I didn't take a salary. Brad didn't take a salary. For the second year of distract, uh, we took home £800 a month each. Third year, fourth year, fifth year, sixth year, we're good, right? We're doing well. But those first two years, you know, I remember thinking, I think I got to the end of second year thinking, do I really want to keep dragging this on? Like, my mates have got nice little grad schemes, you know, they're on for like 30 grand a year, whatever, you know, I'm sitting there on 80 pound a month. Like it is a challenge, but it's all worth it. You just have to, you know, so, so if you aren't absolutely passionate about being, being an entrepreneur and being ready to go through the, you have to go through, which you have to go through a lot of it. I wouldn't even bother starting because it is absolute hell for the first few years. Yeah, good answer. I think I think people will know if they're an entrepreneur or not, aren't they? Basically, that's what you're saying, aren't you? you you'll know. You'll know if you yeah, want to. I mean, do it. look, this is this is where I'm currently at, right? So I'm 27. I, I do all right. Like, I do all right for myself, and all of my personal income, all of it, literally every single drop of it, uh, has been put into investments. Like, you know, um, whereas my friends who have far less liquid capital than me got a nice car i've got i've got a decent car don't be wrong i've got a decent place i've got decent i've got decent bits but i could have more right they've got probably nicer cars they've probably got nice whatever but everything i have i'm like i've worked 10 years for this i'm gonna make i'm gonna 10x what i've got now do you see what i'm saying like my mindset because i because we started from such a small base has always been invest 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 so even now when i've got really good you know, liquid assets, I'm still going, I'm investing again. And I think that's a problem that I actually have. And I was speaking quite openly to my dad about this the other day where I said, at some point, I'm genuinely going to have to sit there and have this honest conversation with myself, which goes, Pete, you've worked 10 years for this, 15 years for this, whatever. You can take some now. Like you, like you can take some now. You can, you can go and get that car you want. Like you can take some now. And you can go to Barbados now, like you could, you've worked for it for 10 years, 12 years. But I think it's really hard when you've, when you've been in the mindset I've been in for 10 years, which is you get a pound, you turn it to five, you get five pounds, you turn it to a hundred pounds, you get a hundred pounds, you turn it to 10 grand, you get 10 grand, you know what I'm saying? So it's really hard to break that mindset. Um, and that's where I, I'm near enough now at that conversation where I'm going to have to have myself, which is, and breathe. Um, but I, because I've been so full on for so long. I, to be honest with you, listening to you right there, that turn a pound into five, five into ten. Me and Drew were talking the other day about entrepreneurship being our game. 
So, like, we used to play a lot of FIFA when we were younger. And I've literally just bought FIFA with a bit of Christmas money. I've, I don't know what else to buy at the minute. So, I, I don't really want anything. I've got a, 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 I just don't, I don't care for stuff as much. And it's that process and that game that really motivates me. And we were talking about that. Like, we're so focused on that. And that turning the pound into five is just as fun for me. If, well, a lot more fun than playing FIFA now. And I think that's when you really realise that entrepreneurship is for you, when you mm. find that your escapism in a way, in a strange way, that's your game. Um, and I think if you find that, that's when you can eventually... Yeah, I mean, I just, I just remember going back to the days where I used to play RuneScape or, you know, like RuneScape, for example, I, you know, I used to... I used to st- I don't know if you'd anyone... If you, I don't know if you, did you boys play RuneScape back in the day? Not to be honest, no. Oh, RuneScape, what a game that was, right? Like, so, you know, I, I used to obviously level up as like a little, like, with my mining and my, uh, I don't know, attacking ability or whatever. <laughs> but what I found most fun was um, was making the money, like making the money on the game. And uh, what I found out was, was people on the game that wanted to rank up and there were people like me that just wanted to have the nice, fancy, shiny armor, right? And, but to do that, you had to buy it and it was expensive. So like, you know, they'd be down in the iron mines, like getting their iron ore, right and you know they'd have to run to the bank to deposit it to then be able to have space to go and get more iron ore and i figured out that actually it was more efficient for me just to stand next to the iron ore and buy it for really cheap off them like dirt cheap off them so they didn't have to do the run because all they wanted was a rank so i don't know let's say i can't remember the exact numbers let's say that you could sell it at, i don't know 100 per ore you know i'd buy it often for 30 per ore because they didn't have to do the run right and then i would do the yeah. run for them because i wasn't mining it i was getting it miles quicker right to the back to the bank and then i would sell it in bulk to some guy who wanted loads of it to make something or whatever and i was getting like 70 profit per one times by a thousand or whatever so i've always been like trying to figure out ways to to kind of make one to two to four to ten um and even when i played other games as well that was always my mindset i just i just find it really fun to be able to take something and make more from it um and that is it, it is my passion you know um I remember when my dad said to me once, he's like, oh, what, what, what are you passionate about? Like, what, you, what what's your hobby? It's really hard to buy someone who hasn't got a hobby, he would say to me. I was like, dad, my hobby is my job. I literally wake up in the morning buzzing that I have a chance today. Yeah, Do, yeah. To, be honest, to be honest with you, Peter, literally I woke up today and first thing I said to Drew, I'm buzzing for this podcast today. I cannot <laughs> wait just to speak to you because we, we love it. We love business. We love marketing. We love entrepreneurship. And just to speak about it, it I do buzz off it. I get that. Like, and it, you know, and, and I think it's I think you know when you're when you're that type of person, when you're playing a game when you're younger and you're realizing how to make more money through a strategy. But the thing is, mate, like, you know, I need to make it really clear. At the time, I wasn't like a lot of these things, like Steve Jobs' old quote, you can't connect the dots looking forward, you're gonna do it looking back. At the time, I literally was yeah. just playing the game. I was just enjoying yeah. the game. Yeah. Uh, and then now as like 27, I'm like looking back going, hang about there. That was some there was something going on there that I didn't quite grasp at the time. Yeah. Um you know, it's like, and my dad would be like, Pete, why are you wasting your time on that game? You know, I don't know if like that was, if that was such a big lesson to me. I don't know. You know, you can't just, you can't say that looking back, but you know, this, this thing we call life is the most amazing thing we on the planet. And it's all of our jobs to become the best individual we can be yeah. um, and to excel at something. And, you know, and, and if, if you want to excel at being, you know, a, a great carer, brilliant if you want to excel at being a great teacher outstanding whatever you want to do it's fine just crack on and excel at something and i think that the people that really will be sad are the people that never really excelled anything and i think we all have the the ability to be the best like my dad my dad was a head teacher for years like a head teacher for absolute years and years and years and i look at teachers in such a, a shiny light because i remember walking through town and you know, a kid come up to my dad and be like, Mr. Watson, Mr. Watson, um, I'm doing this at the moment, I'm doing this at the moment. And he was like, oh, um, well done. Well done, Tim. Like, you're doing amazing. And then my dad would turn to me and be like, this kid was literally the worst kid in the world. Like, he never tried at anything. He was a little, you know, whatever. And, you know, I really put some graft into to try and get him into do what he's doing now. And now he's excelling at something. And now it makes me, you know, and, and you can link it to all these things that every single sector in life needs people to excel. You know, for you guys, if you want to be an excelling teacher, what that does is it gives the next person the ability to be an excelling whatever, right? And, 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 and greatness breeds greatness, right? You know, when you are hanging around people who are great, it makes other people great. Um, and we need more great people in this world. It's a fact. So it doesn't matter what industry you're in, what sector you're in, be great at it and you'll produce more great people. 
what you've just said is exactly the best thing about teaching. It literally is the best. We talk about it all the time. Anyone can teach the student's business to a certain degree, but not everyone can have that impact that you're talking about. So your dad sounds like you're a good teacher because he tried to help people outside of his job in a way. And that's that. what you've just described is exactly why we're trying to do this wider thing, trying to help as many people as possible. And and you're helping us. I think I think on that note, Alex, do you want to introduce us as last? Uh, as yeah, well, as we've, last got, we've got a, we've got a, um, one final <laughs> question for you, Peter. I mean, it does take us to a little bit of a, a different place, but then the game, which is three questions in sixty seconds. All right, cool. Go so. Ahead. This next question, I think it's important because I think we've already talked about failure, so hopefully we'll get something here. But what's your um, what's been your toughest moment or career low, and how did you overcome it? Um, there's been loads of what well, I mean. There's loads of life lows, right? I mean, um, I remember when um, my dad was starting his business; it wasn't going particularly well. And we went to Tesco to get some food or whatever. And uh, his card that got declined at the uh, checkout. And he was like, oh, one second. I'll just nip out to the cash point and get some cash and come back in. So we went outside and uh, um, I was like, dad, the cash point's there. Like, you just missed it. And he went, no, 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 Pete, there's no money in the account. Like, there's no money in the account. And at that point, I was like, oh. And that was like a life low. Um, of course, like you know, at the moment, at the time, I was just like, oh my God, this is bad. This is a really bad situation. I, I didn't have to solve it. Uh, career low, um, there was, a, I don't know how open I can be about this, but as open as I can be. We brought two people through as like uh, in the agency and really helped them guide them. One of the individuals was literally an apprentice and we, we for three years, we, we nurtured them, made them, helped them become who they want to be in, in business. And then one day, um, the two of them decided to run off and uh, try and destroy things on the way out. So they'd like, you know, um, hack accounts or um, try and steal clients, etc. Um, and we fixed it all relatively quickly. You know, it wasn't, it didn't leave any scar per se, but it was the fact that I felt they completely utterly betrayed me. Like, you know, like for three years, I'd put so much time and effort into these individuals um and um you know they've been basically paid by someone else to, to try thing up and i just and i just felt like a complete betrayal um and that was probably one of the lowest moments in my business career which is how can you look at someone and, and who supported you so much and, and helps you become the person you are and you know paid you regardless of, of the situation and then you go and try and screw them over i just i don't really get that and that's because i'm an entrepreneur that's come from nothing so i understand how hard it is to get something um so that's probably my lowest, one of my lowest career moments was just betrayal. But then obviously like in life, like obviously I lost my mom when I was like seven. Um, but I was so young, I didn't really understand that. So it's kind of like a weird one. Like I, obviously I'm sad about it. Don't get me wrong. But like when you're so young and something so traumatic happens to you, you kind of don't remember it. Like it's really weird. Um, but yeah. Bro. So, you know, you know that moment when those people who you trained and invested your time and your money in and your effort for three years, and then they basically just screwed you over. How has, how has that shaped you? Has that changed your attitudes and the way you approach new people coming into the business? Yeah, I mean, like, you know, there, there was, it, it's really interesting to see because um, looking back, I can see, I can see it playing out over like a six-month period. Um, I can see actions and behaviours that one of them it was more one of them than the other one the other one was kind of unfortunately dragged along with it yeah um but yeah i could see moments that that, that where i'm like that i could i can see that now um i also can uh see signs like that there were bad employees really from a um atmosphere for the office as well so i i, I you learn from things right and and to be honest with you i said to, to brad i'm glad it happened glad it happened because in first and foremost they were obviously a cancer of the company so they, they're gone Great news. And second of all, you know, it shapes you as an individual. And, and, you know, you can always look at these negative things. And it was terrible for about a good three to six months. Right? Don't get me wrong. It was more for three to six months. But now, you know, like a year and a half later, whatever it is, like 
you know, it, it, I'm, I'm glad it happened. Um, it shaped me as a better individual. I can see, I can spot signs. It got rid of cancer within the organization and we move on as better individuals. You know, um, it's, it's that simple and you can sit there and cry about things and get upset, whatever, or stressed out. But really, if you're running a good organization with good, with a good balance sheet and you're in a secure position, you can pretty much take most things on. Um, it's the companies that have low cash reserves and then that happens to them that will struggle because um, then you're fighting on two fronts. Just if you're fighting one front at a time, you can normally win those. If you've got two or three, it becomes a bit of a challenge. No, and I think that, that going back to what we first started this podcast with about failure and about challenging times and how they actually make you fear it less, you, you, you've experienced that now. You know what, it, what, you know what it's, it's another thing that you know what it's like to experience. My solicitor at the time said to me, he said, Pete, he was like, I'll tell you now, this is nothing. Yeah. He said, as you get bigger there'll be sharks that try and rip you. There'll be sharks, as you get bigger in business and as you grow, there'll be people that literally come around and their whole game is to rip you in half. Yeah. He said, so this is just preparing you for the next one because it will happen again, but just on a bigger scale. And that's the thing, you know, if, you, if you're starting out in business, you've got a few issues now, whatever, they get bigger, you're just bigger to deal with it. Yeah, you just become a better person, more Correct. experienced, tougher, you, you know, it's, it's that, isn't it? That mentality, yeah. you, can, you can deal with it. Right then, let's pick it up a notch. Let's finish this podcast with our quick fire round. This is something we've decided to do. We've asked all our followers. We've said we've got an expert in marketing coming on today. Uh, entrepreneur, started in business at 16. What do you want to ask him? So we've had about 20 odd questions sent in. Uh, we've picked his top three. You've only got 60 seconds to answer each one. As soon as I go, that's your time up. So Drew read it to you. I'll press the stopwatch. 60 seconds you've got, and then it's stopped and we move on. Crack on. Are you up for the challenge? I'm always up for a challenge. <laughs> Let's go then. When you're ready, Drew. Quiz master now. Right, here we go. Ready. So, Peter, here we go. I'm scared. A lot of business students set up small businesses slash side hustles on little or no budget. If you could tell them to do one thing, what would you tell them? Uh, I think it's. I think we're in a place right now where um, you've got two options. You can go down the consultancy route and launch like a social media agency quite easily. This whole generation understand how that platform works right now. That's one route. Great thing with those businesses is it's, it's, it's cash for time, right? So you're literally getting paid for your time. Second route would be a Shopify site. You know, it's really easy now to set up an e-commerce business, really easy to get stock that you only pay for when you get it. And then you would set up an affiliate channel. So people sell your product on your behalf. And then you get the cash. So there's two approaches there, um, depending on your skill set. Easy, easy with these. Thirty-four seconds. Absolutely. Well, I, did, I don't know how long these things are. I feel like I need one of those clocks in the corner. No, that that's a difficulty in this game. Yeah. You've got to beat the challenge. But no, you smash that one. Next yeah. question, Drew. We want to see you halfway through a sentence, and just Alex just wants to cut you off. So all I want to do, um, Peter, is you'll be fully into a fully into your answer. And I just go. <laughs> <laughs> that's all i'm wanting please the, give me a chance it's the teacher in him in it so <laughs> um this one's quick question one book that you would recommend a student to read the lean startup uh it's probably the best book uh it's about starting a business on on uh, next to no money um and reinvesting it and then the other one is called come it's called um uh, I read loads of books about two years ago, like literally every single day, and I haven't read one in about a year. Um, but there's one which I can't remember what it's called, but if you follow me on Instagram, I'll put up my story. Um, it's basically around compound interest in life and the theory that if you do one thing really good every single day, eventually you come 365 times better as a person per year. I can't no. remember what it's called, so I apologize. Is it Atomic Habits? Is it something like that? No. no. I don't know what it's called, boys. Anyway, I'm sorry. Yeah. I will put it on my, I'll put it on Instagram. Uh, my right. Instagram's at pwatto. Follow me there and I'll link it. Thanks for that. Spot on. You still haven't, you still haven't got, got your... Uh, five seconds. You had five well, seconds. I don't, I don't know how I was going to... I don't know how I was going <laughs> to chat on a book I couldn't remember over a minute. I was going to say, you've got to keep going, Peter, until you name, <laughs> and then I was going to go. But now we'll move on. I'll not be cruel. Go on then, Drew. Last question. I'll have to make it 30 seconds next time. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, your last question, Peter. Which brand would you most like to work with that you haven't already, and why? 
I would love to work on the uh, on the Debenhams uh, rebrand that's going to happen right now, like the relaunch of Debenhams, because I think it's one of the potential biggest moves possible. So obviously Boohoo have bought Debenhams. Um, I think it has a really good way and good position to turn that into a premium side of the Boohoo group. Um, obviously Debenhams has got such a massive amount of heritage within the UK public. Uh, I just think it'd be a really, really cool brand to, to work with as they as they move forward. I also would love to look at a little chef revive. I've said this in the office a few times. Like, I think these really kind of traditional heritage brands that have got so much love, I think you can do amazing things with them. Little chef as a concept on A roads won't work anymore, but I can see little chefs in like um, arcades and shopping centers being like a really cool move. Um, so I'd love to work with like little chef, Woolworths, Debenhams, you know, these these old historic brands and make them make them modern and innovative. You've done it again. Fifty six seconds. I was like, come on, keep talking. Peter. Winners keep win, going. mate. Winners win. <laughs> you have actually won. You beat, mate. You beat the... Oh, gutted. <laughs> no, I'm only kidding. No, that was great. Thank you. So... Yeah, spot on. Thanks, Peter. Um, I like that nostalgia. You're going for that nostalgic feel then, taking that nostalgia of people like going to a little chef and... Yeah, I like yeah, that. I just, th I just think that instantly, you know, like whenever you have a brand that's already got a level of brand equity, you know, you you're already like... 53 steps ahead of if you started it by yourself like if we you know if we started a i don't know a uh a little you know bacon and sausage like a greg's equivalent new greg's equivalent or whatever now in a shopping center you know no one would have a clue who we were but if we called it little chef bang you've got cues all of a sudden and i just think that, the, that those the brand levers need to be pulled and you've only got a certain amount of time to pull them i was actually looking at little chef trademark it's been bought by a um by a big brand and they're sitting on it so Maybe one day I'll uh, I'll buy the Little Chef trademark. I think it'd be fun. But uh, but yeah, those are the sort of things that I'd love to do, like Woolworth, Little Chef, Debenhams. These are just cool brands that have got so much heritage. And uh, if you do something right with them, I think you can really make a lot of money. Yeah, very interesting. Oh, thanks, Peter. Um, Final thing, where, where can uh, where can his audience find you? So as students that want to follow you, what's... Yeah, so my, my Insta is at P-W-A-T-T-O. And uh, I have a podcast every week called Behind the Journey, where basically I just talk about my journey I'm on. So literally every single week, I'm like, this week I did this and it was terrible or it was great. And I just literally go through my whole process and my whole journey um, because I'm very selfish, as you can probably gather. Like, I just want to look back when I'm 73 and be like, what was 27-year-old Pete thinking? I just think that'd be cool. So I do that every single week called Behind the Journey on all the uh, podcast places. I've, I've, done, I've done a lot on YouTube. I spent like a year, I hired a cameraman full time who followed me around for about a year. Um, but he left, unfortunately, because he had to go back to Milton Keynes with his family. But there's about 100 episodes online. Um, it's called Inside the Journey. Um, but I'm looking to start it to look like that similar again outside of lockdown. But obviously lockdown's put a stop to that. But yeah, I mean, Twitter, PJ Watto. Um, but yeah, Instagram and, um, and podcast are probably the most two places to get me. Spot on. Alex, so don't you want to uh, go in? It's absolutely fantastic. Just want to say thank you for your time and I hope everybody gets a lot of value out of uh, what you've been saying, Peter. Thank you. Thanks, lads. Appreciate it. It's been a great yeah, Really time. appreciate doing it. Thanks. Cheers. All the best.